I'm straight up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Now, Brother, uh, Brother McGee uh, was contacted to this, this week by a church that he used to attend uh, here in town. It's a Methodist church. And they were inviting him to participate in what's known as Evolution Weekend. And this is when churches, that's what they call them, churches throughout America, devote a Sunday to proclaiming the wonders of Charlie Darwin's evolutionary theories. Kid you not. Steve, what churches participate in, did you say? Yeah. Presbyterians, Church of Christ, Methodists, and, and they, they, you can go. I, well, uh, so anyway, uh, this is 2014 Evolution Weekend. This year marks the ninth annual Evolution Weekend. While all participating congregations will address the relationship between religion and science, many will focus their attention on the themes selected for this year, different ways of knowing. Evolution Weekend is an opportunity for serious discussion and reflection on the relationship between religion and science. An ongoing goal has been to elevate the quality of the discussion on this critical topic and to show that religion and science are not adversaries. Rather, they look at the natural world from quite different perspectives and ask and answer different questions. Religious people from many diverse faith traditions and locations around the world understand that evolution is quite simply sound science. Well, then they're dodos. There's no sound science to it. It hasn't been demonstrated and it hasn't been proven. So by the definition of science, there's no science to it. Anyway, goes on to say, and for them, it does not in any way threaten, demean, or diminish their faith in God. Because they don't have a real God. If evolution doesn't diminish your faith in God, your God is Baal or Ashtoreth or Chemosh or nothing. The God of the Bible created the heavens and the earth. Made man out of the dust of the ground, breathed his nostrils, breath of life. He didn't sit around and watch as a, as a monkey turned into a Unitarian. Or vice versa. In fact, I'm not sure which came first. In fact, for many of the wonders of science often enhance and deepen their awe and gratitude towards God. How does it deepen your praise to God to consider all this an accident instead of the handiwork of God? The importance of the relationship between religion and science is not just a theoretical one. When the science of evolution is mischaracterized for partisan gain, there are very real consequences for society. In other words, society's better off with evolution and not the Bible. That's what these religions say. And when you guys, you know, you, you Bible-thumping, ignorant hillbillies, when you guys believe in creation... You're harming society. That's what they said. Um, 
The theory of evolution, for example, has led to innumerable medical advances. You know, like Auschwitz, Dachau, Buchenwald. I mean, we learned that you can kill Jews quicker with gas than you can with hard labor. That's scientific advancement. Is responsible for amazing agricultural innovations that helped us feed the hungry. How in the world does believing in evolution help you grow food? But who writes this stuff? And can provide knowledge, the knowledge needed to preserve endangered ecosystems. Well, time out. If you believe in the theory of evolution, ecosystems that cannot handle carbon pollution die. That's the theory of evolution. Why are, you, why are you trying to save endangered ecosystems when Darwin said if they're not fit to survive, they need to get out of the way so the cockroaches can conquer? Similarly, given the centrality of evolution to the scientific enterprise, when the theory of evolution is summarily dismissed, the very nature of science is called into question. Yeah. And our educational system is undermined in a dangerous manner. Oh yeah, that's going so well. Since we started teaching evolution, haven't our schools dramatically improved? I mean, the vocabulary, the conduct, the intelligence. I mean, it's just the reading scores and the, and the math scores are just off the charts. Since we taught these kids there's no, there's no God. Similarly, when some define religion so narrowly... <laughs> Who was that that started that whole narrow way thing? Oh, yeah, Jesus, that's right. When some define religion so narrowly that it is categorically opposed to evolutionary ideas, that's the Bible, or any of the findings of science, there's a, there's a misrepresentation, there's your straw man. Biblical Christianity is not opposed to any findings of science. Everything science finds, we're okay with it because it's going to line up with the Bible. But since science has never found one missing link between any of the kinds that God put on that ark, we're not dismissing science. We're dismissing your hocus-pocus fairy tales that you cooked up to get rid of the Bible. It both demeans and diminishes religion. Then religion needs to head out of town. Take science with it. As members of the Clergy Letter Project have stated so often and so clearly, this narrow perspective is at odds with the broader conception of religion held by thousands upon thousands of religious leaders. And that's supposed to make it right. 
Because religion and science use different methodologies to understand the world, and because religion and science ask very different questions, there is no reason to view them in conflict. One important facet of Evolution Weekend 2014, <laughs> therefore, is to explore the questions each asks and to examine the different ways of knowing embodied each. Okay, I have a question. Why do you religious people hate the Word of God? That's my question. Just, just answer that. You Unitarians, Methodists, Presbyterians, you clergymen, uh, why do you hate the Bible? Why do you hate a book that stood the test of time unchanged for 2,000 years in favor of science that has to reprint its textbooks every two years because they're not right anymore? Through sermons, discussion groups, and meaningful conversations and seminars, the leaders listed below show that religion and science are not adversaries. To examine some of the sermons, members of the Clergy Letter Project have delivered on this topic. To find scientific consultants willing to help answer questions or to read media reports about our activities, please explore our web pages. I wonder if they have to maintain those web pages or if the new material just shows up on the web pages. You think? All right. Anyway, uh, just a verse before the message. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. If you don't have a King James Bible, you can turn there, but this won't be there. First Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy... Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Modern versions took that word science out because I guess some people didn't like science falsely so-called being attacked, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Now, if you don't believe God created the heavens and the earth, you don't believe the first verse of the Bible. If you don't believe the first verse of the Bible, why would you believe in the rest of it? Jesus said, from the beginning, God made them male and female. That's what Jesus said. So, if, if your religion thinks Darwin was right and Jesus was wrong... I want nothing to do with your religion. Amen. Nothing at all. So, uh, we won't be participating in the, what, what's it called? The, in the Clergy Letter Project. 2014 or 2015 or 2016 or if the Lord doesn't come, any of the rest of them. None whatsoever. So, all right. I would like to go on and hear the sermon that on how evolution has advanced agriculture. I really don't know. I guess maybe it's because you couldn't teach gorillas to plow or orangutans to drive a John Deere or something like that. But just, just bizarre, isn't it? What, what's, I, just, I just, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. I don't know. I just don't get where you could look in this world and be optimistic about man advancing or improving anything. 
Say, technology. Yeah, but now you've got four family members sitting at a table in a restaurant, each texting someone. Like, why did you go out to eat? You could have sat in your car and texted four different people. Bring a hamburger. Just, just bizarre. All right, we better get the message. Good. Oh, Savior. We're talking about Jesus, the Savior. Nobody calls Darwin a savior, unless he saved them from having a brain in their head. That's not much salvation. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, here's what we're going to do. We're going to establish tonight that Jesus is the savior of the church. And then we're going to see seven things the savior does for saved people. How about that? Because see, he didn't just save us and then say, I'll be back for you. He saved us, and the Savior continues to be very actively involved in the lives of everyone that He has saved. And so, we're supposed to read verse 23, but we're this close to verse 22, we may as well read it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your employers. Well, no, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, they teach down there the woman can't... No, no, we don't teach that a woman can't have a job. We just teach that if she has a job and she's more obedient to her boss at work than to her husband when she gets home, she's got a problem. (laughs) We welcome our vast listening audience in Sierra Leone tonight. (laughs) Probably larger than our audience in the United States. Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands, your own husbands, as unto the Lord? Well, husband, now wouldn't it stand to reason it'd help if you were a little like him? <laughs> that might make it easier. Just thought I'd throw that in there for, so we like to be balanced. Four, the husband used to be the head of the wife until the clergy letter project evolved the liberals out of that. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Now, who's the body? Verse number 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. So, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the body. So, Not only has He saved us as individuals, but He has saved us as a church. We are no longer individuals. We are now now joined as one to Jesus Christ and to one another. And He is the Savior of that body. His body which is the church. Amen. Alright, so let's pray together. Father, help us tonight to enjoy... Beholding what our Savior has done for us. Thank you for letting us be members of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy 1 verse 1. You know why people prefer Darwin to God? Darwin can't hold them accountable for anything. They don't need a Savior if Darwin's right. The Bible's right. They need a Savior. 
So I'm glad we have a Savior. Now, the Bible says, First uh, Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Which is our hope. He is not only our Savior, but our Savior is our hope. We do not have hope in man getting better over several hundred millions of years. We do not have hope in science or government or education or anything else in solving the problems of the day, solving the problems of the future. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is not a movement. My hope is not a religion. My hope is a person. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a sure hope. It is a certain hope. I have it as an anchor for my soul. It's a steadfast hope. It's an unwavering hope. It's an eternal, everlasting hope. It's a blessed hope. My hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God He didn't just save me. He gives, he gives me sure and certain optimism with regard to the future. Now, you know something? If you're not saved, at various points in times throughout your life, you have hope. And how often those hopes are not realized. But eventually, the, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but eventually there come a point in time... When your hope is narrowed down to, I hope I wake up tomorrow. I mean, come on, right now if you're young, you know, you, you hope to get accepted to that college, or you hope to get that job, or you hope to marry that person, or, or you hope to get a raise, or you hope to do something for the Lord. Or, look, we got, that's, that's, life's like that. But as life runs its course, Eventually, one by one, those hopes are going to fall by the wayside. And the day will come that if you don't have Jesus Christ, you will have no hope. That's it. None whatsoever. Now, some of you work in in a medical profession. Some of you work in in the rest homes and nursing homes. And come on, let's just be honest about it. How about our, our beloved Brother Dignan? Bob Dignan, great guy. At one point in time in his life, he hoped to marry the woman who became Mrs. Dignan. She's in heaven now. He hoped to have children. Don't know if he even knows them now. He hoped to go to the mission field, and he did. He hoped to accomplish something for the Lord on the mission field, and he did. Now, come on, if if it wasn't for Jesus Christ... He has nothing left to hope for. No more relationships, no more accomplishments, no getting better. No, Darwin has nothing to offer him. Darwin has nothing to offer the man in the next room, the woman across the hall. Nothing. But that man, in a body that is gone, in a mind that is failing... That man, with no future as far as Darwin is concerned, but the graveyard, that man still has hope. He has a future, a bright and glorious future that involves speaking and singing and leaping and rejoicing and fellowshipping. He has a glorious future. 
Because our hope and our Savior are one and the same. Praise the Lord. A Christian can never say, there's no hope. A Christian can never say, all hope is gone. Jesus Christ is our hope. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Not only does our Savior give hope. Take a look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse number 9, speaking of the Lord, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Thank the Lord for that. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hallelujah. He has, he's abolished death. Insomuch that you can stand. You can stand and look the last enemy right in the face and say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death. Are you kidding? Now, if I had a choice, I'm sure. I'm sure what. If I had a choice between living another day and dying tonight, I'd, I'd opt for living another day. But when I say dying, it's that self-deception we talked about this morning. Because I'm really just, just deceiving myself because I won't die. I will be absent from my body. And, and more alive than I've ever been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death may come for my corpse, but it may not come for me. Death may do what it will with this old body, but death has no lasting standing claim upon me. I'm leaving. I'm going to be with the Lord. Death has been abolished. How? Through my Savior. My Savior. Now people say, well, I'm saved by works. Really? From death? Seriously? That's what the Bible says. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, abolished death. Isn't that a blessing? Come on, we, we've all had loved ones to die. And you go out there to that cemetery, that, that uh, graveyard, whatever you want to call it. And if that loved one is not saved, Sorrow upon sorrow. That loved one saved. Oh, how it changes everything. How it changes everything. Because you know, you know, that right now, they're in a place they wouldn't leave for anything. They're experiencing joy, unspeakable, full of glory, half, never been told. And you know that. You know that. And you, you say to the people there, that, that's, that's not, that's, that's not. So, so that's just, that's the house they lived in. They've moved out. They've gone to be with the Lord. They're absent from that body. You can do what you want with that body. They're present with the Lord. Praise God. See, He's abolished death. Aren't you glad of that? Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1. Now what's, what's Darwin done to abolish death? Not a thing. Not a thing. So life expectancy is higher than it. Used to be people are living longer. You mean people in the United States of America with lots of money and doctors are living longer. 
lots of good food and clean drinking water, they're living longer. Got enough money to eradicate polio and, and you know, whooping cough and measles and diphtheria and all that stuff. Sure. Live in a country rich enough where two people get sick from a mosquito and you can fly airplanes from coast to coast and border to border and kill everything moving in the water so the third person doesn't die of mosquito bites. Well, people living longer than they used to be. They're not living any longer in place with no money. Life expectancy in Zimbabwe, just what it was when it was Rhodesia and... and Equatorial Africa and all that kind of stuff, but that's how it is. Not, nothing evolving. What do you mean evolving? Whole village wiped out by mosquito bites. They don't kill the gorillas. <laughs> all that foolishness. There's only one can abolish death. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. He's our Savior. Second Peter chapter one, verse eleven. Second Peter one eleven. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everlasting kingdom. Whose kingdom? Savior's kingdom. Who gets in? We do. How do we get in? Trust in Jesus Christ. How long are we in? Forever. Forever and forever and forever and forever through our Savior. Grant everlasting life. Second Peter 2. Second Peter 2. Look at verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now, now here's what I want you to see. Because we're talking now about saved people. How does one escape the pollutions of the world? The Bible says, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know the people sitting here tonight, I wouldn't name, I wouldn't name you if I, if I know your past. If I don't know your past, I couldn't name you and nobody's going to bring it up. But... You didn't know how to stop that. Jesus did. You didn't know how to refuse that. Jesus did. You didn't know how to change from being the person you were and become the person you are. But Jesus did. You know how you escape the pollutions of this world? It is by the knowledge of our Savior. Jesus Christ knows the way out of bondage in Egypt. He can lead you out if you'll let him. Jesus Christ knows the way out of Babylonian captivity. He can lead you out if you'll you'll trust him. Jesus Christ knows the way out of sin. And he can deliver you from the bondage, from the pollution, from the corruption that's in this world. Now, let's, let's quickly, let's read this letter that was written to the clergy. God's not interested in the clergy letter. He wants the clergy to read his letter. Now look what he said. Verse number verse number 17. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, 
to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, are the same as he brought in bondage. Now, here, here's what I want to know. What did Darwin say about stealing from your neighbor? I'd say nothing. What did Darwin say about lying to your neighbor? That would be nothing. What did Darwin say about committing adultery? Taking your neighbor's husband, your neighbor's wife. That would be nothing. What did Darwin say about Well, about all the sins that wreck and ruin lives and cities and societies, not a word. Oh, through the wonders of evolution, we're building a better race. How do you build a better race of humans without thou should not kill, thou should not steal, thou should not commit adultery? These great swelling words, they might impress people with nothing between their ears, but those who have something between their ears know there's nothing inside the words that you're saying that are going to make man better. But there is a way to escape the pollutions of the world. It's through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm glad I've got a Savior who gives me hope, who abolishes death, who grants everlasting life, who delivers from pollution. And I don't mean car pollution. I mean heart pollution. I don't mean factory pollution. I mean mouth pollution. Oh, what are we going to do about it? They're poisoning our waters. You're poisoning my ears. Stop your cussing. Stop your blasphemy. Amen. How are you going to escape pollution? No, no, come on, think about this. I, I've, I've said this, and I think in Bible school the other night. Man, and I don't know how they do it, because this stuff's beyond me, but man figured out this thing some sort of number code and series of number code, numeric codes and everything else, so that you can have this this thing that computes. It is a computer, okay? And and once they get this computer thing going, they develop this this internet. You've heard of it? How many of you heard of the internet? They got this thing called the internet, okay? And and so what happened? People people sat down and they started feeding information into this thing called the internet. And they took everything the Greeks ever knew and put it in the Internet. And they took everything the Romans ever knew and they put it in the Internet. And they put everything that you could ever know or not know or want to know or think you know about science and put it in the Internet. If you've got a, a pain under your, in your left armpit, you can find out what it is, what it might be, what somebody says it is. You can read everybody's experiences with pain in the left armpit. You can find out what medicines will take care of it. You can find out those medicines will kill you. You can find out what herb will take care of it. And you can find out how it harms the environment if you pluck the herb off the tree. I mean, you, everything you want to know about, about anything man's ever known is there on the Internet. So you can sit down and with a touch of your finger. You can know anything that anybody has ever known since 
the first ape played the first saxophone. Back there in the old divide gorge with, with some gorilla playing the sax and Lucy, the Cro-Mangan babe, dancing about. It's all there. Okay, now, now listen. Evolution. Man! Evolution. You invent the internet. You put everything the world has ever known on the internet. And what do people do? They go to YouTube and watch kids wreck on skateboards. And when their wife's not home, they look at pornography. And you call that evolution. Whatever man invents, he pollutes instantly. And the only way out of that pollution is Jesus Christ. That's it. You can talk about evolution all you want. The internet, they hold, well, look at this, look what man can do. Yeah, and look what he does with it. What do you got there? Well, I, got a, I got a device here. I can, I can pull up all the knowledge in the history of the world. I can communicate with anybody about anything. Well, what are you doing there? I'm sending half words to somebody that doesn't even know they're just half words. He's cute, LOL. Did you say he cut? L-O- oh, no, sorry. That was my automatic uh, word finder thing. <laughs> Seriously. Can't read, can't write, can't spell, can't do math, but you got a computer in your head. Read. Evolution. I don't see it. I'm sorry. You you got to convince me. The science doesn't back it up. The observable data doesn't convince me that man's going up. Looks to me like he's somebody's pulled the handle and he's swirling. <laughs> now that's just my scientific observation. All right, Philippians chapter number three. I'm glad I got a savior. Got me out of all that pollution. Philippians chapter number 3, Philippians 3, see here's, here's, Steve you never should have brought me that article, here's science, there's no God, evolution, okay, get rid of God, put evolution in its place, so God didn't make them male and female, in the beginning. Right? If, I mean, if there's no Bible, God didn't make a male female. So what you come up with is you come up with unrestrained, unashamed, licentious behavior. The people that brought some pornography on the internet are going to meet in public parks and mall restrooms and they're going to carry out their perverse desires. And so you're going to have grid. This disease that hit the world a couple of decades ago, grid. How many of you ever heard of grid? Gay-related immune deficiency. But that's, that's discriminatory. It's, it's, you know, it's negative. It makes it sound like somebody's, you know, a certain group of people have done something they shouldn't have done and, and are 
receiving in themselves the recompense of the error, which is meat. And so, so we change it from grid to AIDS. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Well, what do you mean acquired? Oh, you mean grid. Okay, so, so in a way, so evolution says man's getting better, but the people who believe in evolution are giving themselves deadly diseases through immoral conduct. And in order to keep promoting the myth of evolution, we've got to get the rest of society to go along with it and say, this is not a bad thing, it's a normal thing, it's just, it's just a different way of... Now that's, that's polluted. And the only way to escape that kind of pollution is with the Bible, the Word of God. But you've got ministers telling church congregations the Bible's a lie and Darwin's true. And then we're going to march and have a campaign to make society a better place. They're absolutely out of their minds. They're just, they're just nuts. It's like the Lord has robbed them of their ability to think rationally because they've rejected the light of His Word. And it's only going to get worse. Look, I'm just, you, you can disagree if you want to. But if, if today... If today it's acceptable conduct for a man to be with a man, a woman to be with a woman in a marriage relationship, tomorrow the prohibition restriction on children is going to go. I was born this way. I've got a right. It's my genetic predisposition. Who are you to say I can't marry a seven-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl? That's outrageous. Yeah, what they're doing now is outrageous 25 years ago. Now, you can call that evolution if you want to. I call it pollution. But then I'm narrow. All right, Philippians 3. The Savior, He's Savior of the church. He gives hope. He abolishes death. He grants everlasting life. He delivers from pollution. Not only that, Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you talk about elevating. You talk about uplifting. You talk about something getting better. My, my manner of living has gone from the streets of this earth to the realms of glory in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. Look what He's done. He has raised us up together and made us sit together with Him in heavenly places. Your thoughts now involve heavenly things. Your words and conversations now involve heavenly things. Your songs and your music now involve heavenly things. Isn't that amazing? Just wonderful. Now, some of y'all remember a a dear uh, lady, amazing lady, from down at the nursing home, She's a young woman. She'd been in an accident. Uh, Patty. What's her name, Patty? Remember Patty? Quadriplegic, wheelchair. Loved the Lord. Got saved. I mean, you, you'd think somebody paralyzed, neck down, be bitter against God, mad at God, but she got saved. I'm telling you, she got saved, came to the Lord as her Savior. And anybody here related to 
Patty this evening. Any relatives of Patty's here tonight? Okay, good. So she dies. And they have, they have a funeral. And her family gets up and... Now, I hate to bring this up for those of you 60 and up. Her family got up at the funeral and sang. In a sweet by and by. No. Sang, shall we gather the river? No. Sang, Beulah land? No. Sang, some golden daybreak? No. Sang, here's, here, here's sister, there's the body. They got up and sang, love potion number nine. Yeah. It touched my lips, it flipped my heart, it... Blew my mind, love potion number nine. And, and I, I kid you not, whole, I mean, with very bizarre choreography. Now listen, listen. If you can't have a heavenly thought at a funeral, you can't have one. If you can't try to bring God in the picture with your sister's corpse laying there, He's not in the picture. I thank the Lord that God is on my mind when I wake up at 2 and when I wake up at 4 and when I wake up at 5.30 and when I get out of bed. Aren't you glad the Lord's always on your mind? Aren't you glad the, the, the Lord, when you, when you sit down to eat a meal, I can't eat till I thank God. Aren't you glad that when you're talking to somebody about the Lord, it's a blessing? When you're not talking to somebody about the Lord, you know you should be. Isn't it great to have your thoughts and your life so elevated that heaven plays a part in everything that you do and everything you say and everything you think? It's incredible what the Savior has done and how He has raised us up so far above this world in which we live. And let us live on, as the songwriter said, on such a higher plane. Now on a higher plane I dwell, and in my heart I know tis well, yet how or why I cannot tell. He should have lifted me. But he did. He did. So, give us new life. Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2. You know, old Darwin, he got in this boat called the Beagle. And he sailed out in the Pacific. And he landed on this Galapagos Island. He saw some big turtles there and some funny looking animals there. And on the way back, he came up with this theory of evolution. Wouldn't it have made more sense if there had actually been like a couple of people there? (laughs) I'm supposed to believe this book about the origins of man. Because some guy spent a couple of weeks on an island with a bunch of turtles. I'm sorry, I don't get it. I didn't get it before I was saved. This isn't Christian bias. It never made sense. Just a guy running from his conscience and running from God. 
And the devil put something in his, in his mind and he wrote it down and the world that was ready to get rid of God found a way to do it. Now, by contrast, by contrast, look at Titus chapter number, number 2. And, and we want to get to verse 10, but I'm going to start at verse 1 for a reason. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Isn't that a blessing? If evolution's true and not the Bible, what difference make how much old men live? You've already done all you can do by passing on your genes to your offspring. That's all you can do. It's all genetic. It's all accidental. What difference does it make? You put a brown bear in a, in a classroom and say, now look, what you really need... Kids, remember, remember the trip to the Smithsonian? What you brown bear, what you really need to catch those Arctic foxes and live up there at the North Pole is uh, you got to get some white fur, man. Come on. Now, now look here. Black fur plus black fur equals. Come on, bears. Let's get with it. Look. Darwin's theory of evolution is it's random chance accident of genes colliding with genes, and the right ones linking up and giving you, whoo-hoo, look at her, and the wrong ones linking up saying, eh, I'll pass. Come on, that's evolution. I'm not trying to be rude, that's evolution. They wouldn't dare put the original evolutionary charts in a school classroom today. Do you know what Darwin said? Look, I'm telling you what he said. Simian apes, Africans, Europeans. That's what Darwin wrote in Origin of Species. That's why no classroom that promotes Darwin uses Darwin's book to do it. That's just what he taught. Now, the Bible says, hey, you aged men, you need to teach the younger men. Why would I need to teach the younger men if they're accidentally getting better? Why wouldn't I just sit back and watch and say, wow, I wish I'd have been born later. I could have been stronger and jumped higher. Verse number three, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to the... <laughs> twice in one night. Obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemy. You know what, look, what the, you know what the Bible says? The older women are to teach the younger women how to be godly women by being godly women. What difference does it make if you're just genes in the pool? And if you're, you're, look, if your contribution to the betterment of the race ended when you conceived a child, what's this for? But the Bible makes your life valuable. All the days of your life. It makes what you say important and what you do important and how you conduct yourself important. Christianity makes life meaningful. Evolution makes life completely void of meaning. I'm only here to reproduce. So, I mean, evolution, it's, it's just it's Mormonism without the bikes. 
you just, you're just here to make babies and hope the next batch is superior to the last batch. How meaningless. Look, verse 6. Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Now, now look, compare that. Compare that. We're talking about the Savior. And we could, we could have another message like we had this morning, how to be saved from sin, have eternal life. But you're saved, aren't you? You want to say, anybody here not saved yet? Raise your hand. Come on. I see that. <laughs> Raise that hand. Raise that. Okay. Now, you boys and girls, you need to get saved. Amen. Thanks for being honest. You need to get saved. But we're speaking congregation tonight of people, primarily saved people. Okay? So, here's what, here's what we need to see. Showing thyself, pattern of good works, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speed, all, all these things. Now, your life matters. It counts for something. Now, think about this. Evolution. We are going to breed a master race. So what are, what are they looking for? What are the Germans looking for? What are the Soviets looking for? Who's got the blondest hair? Who's got the bluest eyes? Who's the tallest? Who's the strongest? It's all about flesh. It's not who's the most holy, who's the most righteous, who's the most sanctified, who's got the purest heart, who's got the most godly character. That doesn't matter. Right? Now that's Nazi Germany. That's Soviet Union. Oh, thank God in America we don't... No, in America, you, you do the same thing more slowly. You don't care about the morals of the singer. Is she hot? You don't care about the morals of the movie star. Oh, he is a hunk. They still use that term. I want you to know that to this day, Elvis is most likely a hunk of hunk of burning love. <laughs> if he didn't get saved, and about every 30 seconds he does that, what? <laughs> they hadn't heard that in Africa for a while. Now, l- listen, if If evolution is true, then the important people in America are going to be important because of their looks or because of their athletic prowess. Come on. Who are the heroes in America? They are the heroes consistent with the theory of evolution. They are not moral people. They are not righteous people. They are not people who benefit the society. They are people who are great at sports or good-looking enough to make you want to watch them on a big screen or a small screen. That's the outworking of evolution. Now, boys and girls, who do we want your heroes to be? Preachers, missionaries, godly men, godly women, righteous men, righteous women. It's not a beauty contest. The striving for spiritual mastery. 
entirely different. Verse number, verse number eight, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. What's Darwin care if you if you can't hold a job because you can't do what you're told? What's Darwin care if you can't maintain a relationship because you gotta you gotta give your opinion every time somebody tells you what what to do or what? Who cares? But if the Bible's true, life's better with order, and life's better if you find your place in that order, and life's better if you work within that order, and, and it matters what you do. It matters your relationships to other people. In evolution, all that matters is what you produce from your loins. But if the Bible's true, what you do with your hands matters, and what you do with your feet matters, and what you do with your day and with your time matters. Christianity makes life worth living. Evolution leaves you with nothing to do but get higher, get drunk. Because it's, it's vain, it's empty, it's pointless. And so the Bible says in verse number 10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now here's what's great about having a Savior. He's got a doctrine for all things. Quick, somebody bring me that, that Origin of Species book. Okay, uh, I got it right here. Uh, well, good. Uh, what's Darwin have to say about marriage? Uh, I don't think that's in here. What's Darwin got to say about employment and work? Uh, I, I, I don't think that's in here. Uh, what's Darwin got to say about the aged women and the young women and the, and the young men and the aged men? Uh, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's in here. Darwin's origin of species is not a guide for life. It's just the dismissal of God from your conscience. This Bible will tell you everything you need to know about everything you need to do. It's, there's the do- Our Savior has a doctrine for all things. Not only does he make my life meaningful, but he instructs me and guides me and teaches me as to how to live that life to the fullest and make it abundant. And I'm not in bondage being a Christian. I'm at liberty to enjoy life like I never could have enjoyed it had I just been some accident of an evolutionary explosion somewhere oh, oh, so long ago. Oh, uh, J. Vernon McGee, he, he said, I remember him saying this, he was driving on a Bible bus one day, and J. Vernon McGee said, for me to believe in evolution, I would have to believe that an explosion in a print shop resulted in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Praise the Lord. God made it. Put it all together. Second Peter chapter 3. One more thing the Savior does for the church. And we're just looking at verses that have Savior in them. Giving hope. Abolishing death. Granting everlasting life. Delivering from pollution. Giving new life. Teaching doctrine. Second Peter 3. 
verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace. Grow in grace. I want you to think about something. If there's no God, if there's no heaven, if there's no salvation, if the Bible's not true, there's no right, no wrong, why shouldn't I rob you? Why shouldn't I kick your door in and beat up your grandma and take her jewelry? Why shouldn't I lie to you? Why shouldn't I steal your identity and, and, and plunder your bank account? Why, why not? I'm not answerable to anybody. I'm not going to give account to anybody. I should do everything I can get away with. And so, standing on the corner is a sign. Proud of my ancestors. And the guy's got a picture of a monkey on there. And standing next to him is a guy with a sign that says, Do whatever. I've got a Bible. The Bible says, I was made by God. And I don't do whatever. I grow in grace. Jesus Christ, my Savior, teaches me to be better to you with each passing day. He teaches me to be more kind to you with each passing day. He teaches me to love you more with each passing day. He teaches me to consider you with each passing day. Now, think about this. If you're a Christian, before you do something, you don't say, can I get away with it or how will it benefit me? You say... Is it right? Would it harm someone else? How will it affect the testimony, my testimony, my church's testimony? You know what that is? That's your Savior teaching you about grace. You know why you've got the crime you've got? You know why you've got the hatred and bitterness you've got? You know why you've got the danger in the world that you have? Because Darwin doesn't teach grace. Evolution will not produce growth in grace. Jesus will. Man, the more you learn about His love, the more you say, well, love's the way to go. The more you learn about His mercy and His kindness, you say, well, mercy and kindness, that's the way to go. And so our Savior, He gives hope. He abolishes death. He grants everlasting life. He delivers from pollution. He gives, elevates our life and makes it heavenly. He teaches doctrine. And he promotes growth in grace. I'll take a society that believes in God over one that believes in chance and accident any day. Any day. Because it'll be a society that at least has hope and life and cleanliness and grace. I need all that, don't you? Now, there's some recordings back there. I, I, don't, I don't know how old they are. I think, I think I made them maybe 86, 87, somewhere back in there, way back in the 1980s. And it's, it was two, four radio programs, two, two cassette tapes back in the day on abortion, the abortion issue. Not about abortions or people who've had abortions, but on the abortion issue. 
And this, this is what I said. When a, when a society becomes accustomed to aborting babies, its next move will be to terminate the elderly and the handicapped. And you've just legalized that in America. It's in the health care law. It's not being practiced yet publicly with knowledge, but it's the law of the land. It's there. When you, when you have a government right to refuse medical care to someone the government deems unworthy of the expense, that's a byproduct of abortion, legalizing abortion, which is a byproduct of evolution. The abortion industry came from Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. How many of you heard Planned Parenthood? What a name. You are, and they do these things at family planning centers. But anyway, Margaret Sanger started Planned Parenthood. Now listen, she read Darwin. She believed Darwin. And she started Planned Parenthood for the purpose of aborting black babies to keep down the black population because according to Darwin, they were the inferior race. United States of America, that's, that, that's, listen, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Margaret Sanger. Nazis, communists, Planned Parenthood. Darwin. Evolution. They're racist murderers. That's what they are. And there won't be one speaker at the clergy letter conference that'll say that. You know why? Because they're a bunch of liars. And their sole purpose is to get rid of God and get rid of the Bible to take this nation straight to hell. And every Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, and the rest of them that participate in that thing, they'll take the name church off their sign. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. So, amen. I've been reading the book of Jeremiah, and I've been comforted by his sorrows. <laughs> he'd go to the Lord, he'd say, Lord, is there anybody here going to help me? Is there, is there any other preacher going to stand up and say these things? Is there, is there anybody left? And the Lord just said, you just keep preaching, son. Well, the Lord is going to do any good? No. <laughs> you just keep preaching. And by the grace of God, we're just going to keep preaching the truth until the Lord comes back. Who thought, whoever thought you'd live to see the day when they'd be holding seminars to promote Darwin in churches? There we are. We're going to hold seminars to promote the Savior every single time we can open these doors. Amen. All right, now don't, don't, don't turn off the Internet. All you out there... In internet land. We're going to pray. And then, all right, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Savior. Help us to love him, live for him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Brother Justin or somebody is going to have the other wireless microphone back by the back doors back there. And we're going to stay on the live stream. And as you go out the door, give your name and send a greeting to our beloved friends in Sierra Leone. Just Say a little something.